Well, hello everyone. I'm Tyler Cressman, and welcome to this week's Cressman Conversation. Uh, for those of you watching on YouTube, will notice uh, one that I am holding the microphone because I happened to buy a new mic stand this last week, and it just got here, but I haven't had a chance to finish putting it together, so it's not doing me much good. Anyway, I already disconnected this from the stand, so I'm going to hold this mic this time like I'm a reporter on the street. Uh, so that's that. And the other one is I'm wearing a suit because it's also my birthday. So happy birthday to me, and thank you to everyone watching. I appreciate each and every one of you. This week on the Crestman Conversation, we are going to talk a little bit about cancel culture. So if you look back on my website, I wrote a piece uh, entitled Alan West and the Centering of Free Speech. This is all the way back in 2016. This idea of cancel culture, call-out culture, deplatforming with speakers. This has been my central number one issue for the past three or four years. This has been the thing I am the most concerned about. And I just cited that piece as a little bit of my... Uh, to cite uh, some credentials, basically. That this has been something I've cared about for a long time. So I'm sorry we talk about it a lot. I know that everyone, there's a lot of things we could cover, but this one is always super important. So whenever something happens in the mainstream, I like to touch on it. Uh, so let's let's real quick just define a little bit about what it is we're talking about in terms of cancel culture. So if I was on the left, if I was a proponent of cancel culture, it is this ideology that basically equates speech with violence. So if I was trying to argue from their point of view, it would, do something, it would go something like this. You speak from a point of privilege or power to critique another group, and whether it's Muslims or the LGBTQ community, immigrants, whatever marginalized group it is that you want to pick. When you criticize that group, you are normalizing a climate of hostility, which then leads to violence towards marginalized groups, and therefore your speech is inciting violence, even if you never directly incited violence yourself, even if your speech is just derisive against a group. You are committing violence against that group. That would basically be the argument. It's not not great. It's actually in, incredibly ignorant to hold that belief. I don't understand how people can think speech is violence. You should have really ask someone from Rwanda if speech and violence are the same thing. I'm sure you'll find that they were much more concerned with their neighbor's machetes than they were the mean words that they said. It's true that speech can be insightful towards violence, and this is the, this is the very clear standard that we should all hold here. It's, very, it's actually incredibly simple. Let's just take the First Amendment standard and use that as our standard as to what is and is not violent speech. Because the First Amendment and I am a First Amendment purist in the tra most traditional sense of that word. I am the strongest supporter of the First Amendment. But the First Amendment does have some limitations on it. 
One of those things is incitement of violence. You are not allowed to incite violence. It is not protected by the First Amendment. I can't threaten somebody. I can't say, I'm going to shoot you. That I can't do that. That's actually not protected speech. I also can't have somebody else do it. I can't say, everyone should attack this person. That is also not protected speech. And that's something we can all agree on. Even people like myself who are free speech absolutists. Someone who thinks you have to be able to say whatever you want. Again, this is not devoid of consequence, but you should have the right to say it. Very important distinction. But even people like myself know there are certain things the First Amendment doesn't protect. Incitement to violence is one we all agree on already. The other things being things like slander and libel. Those You can't do that. But those are a little murkier. Um, so, okay. So this speech is violence movement is a poison on our political discourse. And it has been very very mainstreamed in the past few years and it is uh it's very ugly because speech in reality is the only way we can avoid violence as a society this idea being that we have to be able to talk about our problems we have to be able to work through our differences in a way that we can understand each other and come to compromise or at least an understanding if not a compromise but if you view my opinion as an attack on you well if my words are violence then what stops you from justifying violence back towards me what starts this vicious cycle from happening if i say illegal immigrants are a problem in the united states and then you say that's actual violence against immigrants then where do we go from there if my words are violence and i'm committing violence against you why would you not commit violence back towards me right self-defense is a thing that we for the most part as a species agree is justifiable if someone attacks me i'm going to fight back and this is why you've seen the radical left rise up the way that they have. People like Antifa, they look at conservative speakers and they say, oh, these people are committing violence against groups. We can't allow fascists to commit violence against us. And they attack people in the streets. So this is a big problem. And there's a reason why we're talking about it this week. And that is because Barack Obama recently got in trouble with the far leftists and again we always make a distinction here between leftists and liberals so democrats liberals people on the left side of the aisle these are not bad people right i for, uh, most of my views i believe are still slightly left of center i hold much in common with most of the people who would consider themselves democrats but the problem in the, the area that I see as the biggest threat to the country right now comes from the people on the far left, the, your progressives and your extreme leftists. These people are scary. And President Obama got himself into some trouble with them by making what amounts to the most anodyne statement he could possibly make, the, it, the most milquetoast statement you could find. 
something everyone should be able to agree on for the most part. So he was at a conference. Um, I believe it was an Obama Foundation event. This was on Tuesday. And he made the this statement, which I'm going to quote in its entirety. Well, actually, no, I'm going to quote two sections of it. So, quote, this idea of purity and you're never compromised and you're always politically woke and all that stuff, you should get over that quickly. The world is messy. There are ambiguities. People who do really good stuff have flaws. People who you are fighting may love their kids and share certain things with you. And that's the end of quote. And then he went on to say, uh, to criticize young college kids, he went on to say, quote, the way of making me, oh, excuse me, the way of me making change is to be as judgmental as possible about others, and that's enough. That's not activism. That's not bringing about change. If all you're doing is casting stones, you're probably not going to get that far. That's easy to do, end quote. Now, that is actually a fantastic statement. That is a fantastic statement by Barack Obama. He did, he pinpointed the problem, the problem of fake wokeness of fake activism on twitter and in equating twitter with real life is always a problem but this idea that calling out culture is helping anything at all it is not it is not helping and there's a personal disclosure here by the way i voted for barack obama in 2008 and in 2012 i turned 18 on november 3rd of 2008 and his election was on november 5th i believe i I think i turned 18 two days before so i got to vote for barack obama in both of his elections and if he was running if he was a first time democratic candidate in 2020 i would probably vote for him again and i'll tell you exactly why because barack obama was a part of the democratic party that i recognized and really liked I had, after eight years, I had a lot of issues with Barack Obama's presidency, some of the decisions he made, some of the way he handled certain things in his administration. I have a lot of criticisms. However, here are the bits that I don't, I'm not going to argue with people about because if we have an argument here, I just am not going to see it your way. And I like to think I'm able to talk through most things with most people, but here are are things that I, I find almost not appropriate for conversation. If you try to convince me, for example, that Barack Obama is an immoral person, that's just not going to happen. I'm not going to see it your way. Uh, That is one of the things that made him a person I could vote for for president. I think he is a very moral man, which in a president is something that I value greatly. Also, incredibly intelligent. No one should be able to deny this. You might disagree with him on a lot of policy issues, but if you try and convince me that he's an idiot who doesn't know what he's doing, chances are you're an idiot, and you don't know what you're talking about. He is incredibly smart. You might not agree with him politically, but don't deny the dude is incredibly intelligent. And also, he had a lot of good ideas, and there was a lot of, there was a lot of good he could have potentially done for the country. Especially in his first term in 2008. The backlash against him in his first term had a tinge of racism to it, which was undeniable. There were obviously a lot of people who on principle opposed him just because of some of the things that he was advocating for. 
but there was also a tinge of racism which just was really unseemly at the time but anyway that's just a personal disclosure i voted for him twice he's the kind of democratic candidate that i have always enjoyed and if the democratic party still looked like it did then i would still consider myself a democrat but anyway that's just my little personal disclosure um so obama here he nailed it he nailed the liberal position on free speech call out culture and cancel culture and i thought he did a great job but instead of praise instead of praise for what should be a statement that and what is a statement by the way that i'm sure most people agree on the problem is the people who are quote unquote politically woke came for him and came from hard and the problem is you confuse those people with real people and it's not good so institutions like the new york times for example ran critical pieces on him here is the piece everyone needs to go read this is your homework for the from the podcast go to the new york times and read the article entitled obama's very boomer view on cancel culture and it's by ernest owens now ernest owens is a nobody this guy is a nobody he got to write a piece in the new york times based on three things he is black gay and young and therefore that gives him credentials to write a piece criticizing barack obama someone who is not in his league in terms of what he's done for the world and intellect any of it barack obama heads and tails better heads head and tails is that how that phrase goes better than this person but young black and gay means you get to criticize former president barack obama for being too old and not woke enough and so here's the here's the problem first of all i this piece argues that it's just a misunderstanding that the older generation just doesn't understand call out culture and the fact that young people today, this, this activism on Twitter, this call-out culture, this is the same thing as the sit-ins in, during the civil rights era. This is the same thing as the Montgomery boy, bus boycotts. And we just don't understand it because we're older. I'm, I'm throwing myself in with the boomers here because I'm secretly an old man on the inside. I don't understand this culture around free speech. And so here's here's some excerpts. Oh, by the way, just real quick. So in the article, Ernest, uh, Mr. Owens, he argues that people just don't understand that call-out culture is the same kind of activism that other people engaged in throughout history. It's just a newer form of it. We just don't get it. He also He also made a lot of unfortunate comments about how old people just need to move on and need to either get with the program or get out of the way and here's here's some of the uh the some of the things he made sure to clarify that calling out culture is useful in calling out people who are in positions of power and a way of critiquing that power but it's not an attack on people you don't want to we don't want to really cancel people we don't want to get we don't want to ruin someone's life on Twitter. 
I did a, the shallowest dive possible of Ernest Owens Twitter. I went back 10 days. I went back to October 20th. It's currently November 3rd. Um, so whatever that is. I went back two weeks. Two weeks. And I'm back two weeks on Ernest Owens Twitter. And let's, I just want to read a couple things here real quick. Just because this is the game that people like to play. So Ernest Owens says it's not about fighting certain people, certain groups. It's more just about critiquing people of power. So here's, we don't want to cancel people, he said, by the way. We don't want to cancel people. What we, we want to do is just critique people and make effective changes in the world. Here are some of his tweets from the last two weeks. This is not a deep dive. This is not old things. This is right before the New York Times published an op-ed from Ernest Owens. These are some of the things that he said. Uh, Dear white people, don't let this be the last day you have a job. Keep it cute and mute on these Halloween costumes. Happy Halloween. Okay, so Ernest Owens would definitely advocate people getting fired if they wore the wrong costumes. Uh, How can anyone act like cancel culture is a real thing when black men like Kanye West can be can discredit the impact of slavery, support Trump obsessively, and promote dogmatism, cults, and Chick-fil-A like it's trendy. If you're jamming Jesus is King, you're part of the problem. So he's for boycotting music if you don't agree with the person whose music it is. Boycotting Jesus is King because Kanye West is a Trump supporter. But he doesn't want to cancel Kanye West. No, no, no. That's not what he's saying. Uh, it all, and it also makes me giggle when straight people enter conversations with queer folks with statements like, as a straight person, I, as if what they are going to say is nuanced, original, or something we haven't heard. Disparaging straight people. All right. We get it. You're a cishet. You're straight and think as such. I think putting people into groups is wrong. Even even straight people. You probably shouldn't just make uh, big statements about people you are different than. I think that's, uh, I thought that was something we all should agree on. My ancestors didn't die for my right to vote for white liberals to tell me how. A radical yet common sense way of approaching collective conversations about racial justice is to stop pushing the pathological lie that black people aren't mobilizing within their communities to address these issues and white people are ignorant and uninformed about them. This is a person who got a New York Times op-ed published criticizing Barack Obama and then while simultaneously making absolutely no sense in what he was saying in the article compared to how he acts in real life. He is saying they don't want to cancel people. You just don't understand that this is activism. While calling to cancel all sorts of people, disparaging views he doesn't agree with, putting straight people and white people into boxes, which I think we're supposed to not do, if I remember correctly, you know, advocating we're going to fire people if they wear the wrong Halloween costume. We're going to boycott Kanye West. We're going to... We, no, we don't care what straight people have to say because we know it's not going to be nuanced, original, or something new. This is not a person who is a good faith actor in a conversation. He's not the kind of person you want to have a conversation with. It, just reading his Twitter is like reading a cesspool of terrible political thought by a narcissist and uh here's how by the way here's how uh this article goes just in terms of tone this is from ernest owens article in the new york times quote the issues that my fellow millennials along with even younger people in gen z tend to be quote judgmental about are the same ones many of our parents 
and grandparents have been debating for decades. Being outspoken about climate change, women's rights, racial justice, LGBTQ inclusivity, and gun control, and critical of those who stand in the way of progress on the issues, is work that's been left to us. Okay, there's nothing wrong with being outspoken about issues. No one's denying that. That's a straw man no one's arguing against. But I love the last line of that. It's work that's been left to us. You're a narcissist. To act like the generation before you didn't pave the way for you to complain and whinge on Twitter. No, guy. The generation before you fought the actual civil rights battle in the 60s. The generation before you did all of the heavy lifting and now you get to complain about Kanye West being a Trump supporter. The idea that all of the work in the world has been left to you grow up. Read a book. Read a book. Just one. You, the idea that you're living in the worst time ever is just nonsense. It's just so, I don't understand how people honestly believe this. And this is the big problem. You have a lot of young people running around, and Barack Obama pointed this out in his statement, especially on college campuses, who don't understand that cancel culture, this idea that we're not going to allow people to speak because we deem what they say inappropriate, is a terrible strain on our political system. Because what happens when you cancel people is you allow their ideas to fester. This is what happens to bad ideas. Bad ideas are disinfected by sunlight. It's the old phrase. You allow someone to speak. You expose their bad ideas, and then you kill those bad ideas with good ideas. You don't silence bad ideas and expect them to go away. That's not how it works. It never has been. When you cancel someone, you grant them power. Do you, what do you think is more effective? If Richard Spencer gets invited to speak at a college campus and you protest the event, you get it canceled, you shut it down with violence or disrupting it in, when he's speaking, if you do that, you allow, you give Richard Spencer more power. You think it's taking away power from people by canceling them. It's not. It grants them more power. Because then he can say, look, I'm speaking the truth and people are so afraid of the truth that they have to fight me like this because they can't engage me intellectually. This is how it works. It would be more effective if you let Richard Spencer show up to your college and give a speech to three people in the audience. And then he goes away because people like that don't have a following. They generate controversy and they gain a following because because petulant children throw a fit and they have to go sit in their safe space. And it is really disturbing to me that people haven't figured this out yet. The universities have been playing around with safe spaces and trigger warnings for years now. And we, it's as though they still don't understand that this is not what a university is for. You're not allowed to cancel someone's free speech with your free speech. You say, you, if you stand up in the middle of a lecture and you shout down a speaker, that's not you advocating 
uh, acting out your right to free speech because that's not how free speech works. You don't get to shout down a speaker. You don't get to deplatform somebody because you don't like what they have to say. And this is something that people need to understand. This is incredibly important that we all get on the same page about this. People like Ernest Owens are not going to understand this because Ernest Owens is part of that group and you can see it. This is, I think it's bad. Most people who are libertarian, most people on the conservative side, and even most liberals in the old school sense of the word, right? The Martin Luther King Jr. style liberals. Most people agree that we shouldn't put people into boxes based on immutable characteristics. We shouldn't do it based on race or sexuality or gender. We shouldn't divide people into groups. People like Ernest Owens don't believe that way. He's clearly willing to disparage white people and straight people as a group. This, I think, is despicable behavior from anyone. Anyone who disparages an entire group of people, whether it's women or trans people, whether it's gays or blacks or Asians, whether it's white men, if you disparage a group based on their race, their gender, their sexual orientation, their religion, you are a bigot. There's no way around this. You don't get to have it both ways. You don't get to say, I would like you not to be racist against me while simultaneously being prejudiced against them. It does not work that way. And this is something I don't understand how we continue to have to talk about. I don't know how people don't see this. You don't get to claim victimhood and then fight the oppressor by being a bigot. And you honestly believe that you're the victim of a societal injustice. And there's a conversation to be had about all sorts of oppression. We can, we can have a conversation about racism and discrimination and sexism. Let's talk about it all. I want to have the discussion. But you don't get to start the discussion by saying your opinion as a straight white male doesn't matter. It doesn't work that way. Because then it's not a discussion. Then it's a, then it's a talking down. It's a, it's a uh, condescension that you're going to just lecture me and I just have to accept your view of the world. Your view of the world might be wrong. I might not agree with it. The idea that I don't understand or I'm incapable of empathy or discussing things with you because we live different lives, if that was true, we could never have a conversation ever. And there would be no point because I wouldn't understand you and you wouldn't understand me. That's not the world we live in and we know that for a fact. We can move the needle on this. We can make progress together. But that means you have to stop with this nonsense. And people like Ernest Owens and the New York Times who ran this garbage piece, they have to understand that people like Obama are right. And it's not an old school mentality. It's not a boomer mentality that makes him right. It's not because we're reluctant to change. It's because it's just right. And we have to figure that out. We have to understand that Barack Obama is an incredibly thoughtful person. Again, my, to my conservative viewers out there, I know you might not like Obama. He, you may have think he did a lot of harm with a lot of different things he did. But let's grant 
people the goodwill version of what occurred, right? Let's give them a little bit of leeway and say, okay, did was this person well-intentioned or did he have terrible intentions? Was Barack Obama trying to ruin the country or make it better? If you think he was trying to ruin the country, I think you're being uncharitable to him. If you think he was trying to make it better and just went the wrong way, then let's just say, okay, he's a moral person whose ideas are wrong. Okay, that's fine. Barack Obama is never going to be right to the progressives. He's just another another version of the old white male oppressor just in a brown skin formed. That's what progressives now think of a Barack Obama. I, he was the great champion of hope and change for years and years and years. But now he's a dinosaur. He's no longer woke enough for the progressive base, the Twitter Democrats and their nonsense articles in the New York Times. This is a huge issue, people. This is the biggest one. This is a, a problem that we have got to fix. Because if we can't have good-natured conversations where we give each other some leeway to make mistakes and to have dissenting thoughts, then we are in serious trouble. And it is trouble that we are not going to be able to keep up with if it continues down this path. This is the scariest thing in the world to me right now in terms of the future of the United States. Call out culture, cancel culture, dividing ourselves into two Americas that don't speak to each other. This is a scary thought. And this is the process we're heading. I There's a quote. I'm going to paraphrase it because I'm, I don't, I might mess it up. There's a quote that says, and something along the lines of Dennis Prager has said before, the difference between the right and the left is that the right thinks that the left is wrong about the issues, and the left thinks the right is evil. And that's a big difference. That's a big difference. I disagree with liberals and Democrats on a number of issues. I disagree with a lot of Republicans, by the way, on a lot of issues as well. That's why I like to consider myself a centrist. Because um, I lean left on a lot of issues. I lean right on a lot of issues. It just depends on the issue. But there's a lot of disagreement between both sides. But I don't think people are evil on one side or the other until you get to the fringes. The problem is is that the fringe on the right, your, your Richard Spencers, your, your neo-Nazis, these people, the dirty secret is that they hold no power in the country. And that's why I don't consider them a threat. Nobody in the nobody is out there supporting Nazism or fascism in this country. Nobody. You can say Donald Trump is a white supremacist. I think you are living in a fantasy world. Nobody supports this ideology. Nobody is trying to make this a, a white state in large numbers. There's not a school of conservative thought that is advocating for like white separatism. This is not a thing that exists in large numbers. You could find a hundred, a hundred jerks on the street and say, look, we found this group of Nazis in the country. Therefore, racism is a huge problem. And I'll say, you're being ridiculous. They had that march in Charlottesville that couldn't, that, that couldn't fill a high school bleachers. And people said, look, Nazism's on the rise. No, it, no it's not. Again, you had people marching in the street, some jerks, some assholes with tiki torches, 
and we're supposed to take that to mean the country is this big bigoted place. Well, it's not. But the problem, the real problem, is that the left, this ideology, this cancel culture, this shouting people down, this culture has wide street, uh, mainstream appeal on the left, and it is it's growing. You look at the people who are the face of the Democratic side of the aisle. And who do you see that resembles Kennedy? Or even Obama at this point? Who do you see as the face of the Democratic Party that resembles what used to be the blue-collar or the blue-dog Democrats, right? The answer is no one. The face of the Democratic Party right now, if you're the person and you close your eyes and you start thinking Democrat, you think of Sanders, you think of Warren, you think of Pelosi, and you think of the squad. And this might just be Donald Trump doing a fantastic job of making the squad the face of the Democratic Party. But if you think AOC isn't part of cancel culture, isn't the kind of person who would advocate for deplatforming a speaker, you are out of your mind. And this is the face of the Democratic Party. So this is why I talk about the left more than the right. I'm not a Republican. I'm not. But the left scares me more than the right. I'm not scared of the Nazis on the right. Because the Nazis are not a real threat to this country. Because they will never gain mainstream support. They don't have it. Whereas the left... I see that getting more and more mainstream every day. And that is an incredibly scary thought. I don't... um, There was one question I had this week I wanted to answer real quick. Because that's about all I can say on that issue. It's just... I encourage everyone, again, go back and read that article I wrote, Alan West and the Censoring of Free Speech. You can find that on my website, tylercressman.org. Also, go read that New York Times article, the Obama Boomer one, um, just to get a sense of what I'm talking about. And then maybe if you're, if you're really curious, you want to do a deep dive, go look at Ernest Owens' Twitter feed. That guy puts up, eight, he's had 18,000 tweets. So going back 10 days, I don't know how many tweets I read. But again, this is the kind of person who is going to critique the president and just not understand that he is exactly the problem we're talking about. This person who, well, we we went over it. He doesn't get it. He claims everyone else doesn't get it. He doesn't understand what we're talking about. So go back and read those articles. Um, There's one question I had this week that I wanted to address. It came from uh, one of the YouTube videos. Basically, the question was, why is it you don't, cite the Constitution when talking about how great America is. And this one is super easy for me to address. The Constitution, the founding documents of this country, are the exact reason why America is so incredibly great. The Founding Fathers were one of the rarest collections of human beings that have ever existed. You were talking geniuses galore and men of impeccable moral character all around. One of the problems, one of the things that I found most disturbing is the amount of young people who think they're more moral than George Washington. George Washington married a woman who was incredibly wealthy. Family had slaves. So George Washington owned slaves. I think everyone in 2019 will acknowledge that owning slaves is a bad thing. 
I don't think we're going to have a debate about this. If you think because George Washington owned slaves back in 1770 that today in 2019 that means you're better, you're a better person than George Washington, you are mistaken, my friend. George Washington was one of the most moral men who ever lived. And if you think you're better than him, just that thought alone means you're not. And so this collection of people, these moral titans, these intellectual giants who wrote these founding documents, who read more books than almost anyone you're ever going to meet in 2019, that's for sure, who had more knowledge of political thought and philosophical wonderings, who wrote countless papers, debates, arguments, pamphlets. These people looked throughout history and said, what are the failings of government? And how can we design a government that works for the people for the first time in history? And that's what they did. They wrote the Declaration of Independence, which talked about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They wrote the Constitution, which set about a framework of government to check itself from corrupting power. They, and then they wrote, they realized, you know what the Constitution doesn't do? It doesn't grant the people. It doesn't protect the rights of the people from the government enough. So you know what we need? We need a Bill of Rights. We need something that says, these are your rights, and the government can't take them away from you. And then we had the Bill of Rights come out. And the most important bit of any political document ever written, you're talking about the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. The first ten amendments of the Constitution. The first one being, in my opinion, the most important one ever written, ever. You want to talk about the First Amendment? You want to talk about why America is great? Let's look at number one. The idea that the government is not going to restrict your speech. The government is not going to restrict your religion or your right to peaceably assemble. Your right to petition the government for grievances. These are fantastic things that people recognize. This is the only way for the people to be governed, to have the right to speak and and right and believe what they want to be free from government tyranny and then what they do they said this is the most important right that's why it's number one by the way it's the most important right for people but then what do they do then they made the second amendment a well-regulated militia being necessary for the security of a free state the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed that's the second amendment that one's easy to memorize by the way it's not very long what does that mean? Oh, you know how in history, governments are typically oppressive? They are tyrannical? Well, this one is going to stop that from happening. Those, these rights that we're going to enumerate in this Constitution, you're going to have the ability to protect yourself from the government because the government is going to work for you. And in the event that someone ignores the Constitution, in the event that they try to abuse their power, you're going to have the right to defend yourself. The Constitution and the Bill of Rights, they are the reason America is great. It made America. And America is the greatest country that's ever existed. Because it is a beacon of freedom, because the people who wrote our documents recognize that government is there to protect the rights of the people, 
but it doesn't grant those rights to the people. The, the rights that you have, the rights that you're born with, transcend government. That's what the people understood who wrote the founding documents. And that's why America is great. Because the people who wrote our documents did it with you in mind for the first time in history. They didn't say, how can we make the government strong? They said, how can we protect the people from a strong government? So I, I feel like I do cite the Constitution, but there are times when we just need to have a little heart-to-heart about why this country is so great. And the answer is always going to be the Constitution. And it's not a living document, by the way. Just throwing that out there. The Constitution is not a living document. It had a meaning when it was written. That is the meaning. And if we need to change it as a country, if we can agree to change it, then okay. But there's a reason why there have been thousands of amendments proposed in Congress. And we only have 27 that have ever passed. Because they have to be important. And they have to be something that everyone agrees on. And that very rarely happens. And it's good that it very rarely happens. So, anyway... I don't have a book of the week this week. This is going to be one of the rare times when I don't recommend a book. Instead, something that is incredibly topical. On the 25th of October, a movie came out that I'm going to recommend everyone sees. Dennis Prager and Adam Carolla starred in this movie called No Safe Spaces. It's only going to be in select theaters for a limited amount of time. But I'm going to recommend that everyone go see this movie. Everything I just talked about right here, they're going to do... A fantastic job of discussing in this movie uh, the trailer looks amazing everything about it looks good so please everyone just go see the movie if it's gonna be near you I think you can look it up I think it's no safe spaces.com but I'm not hundred percent sure on that just google it google the Dennis Prager movie check out the website look at the theaters it's going to go see that movie um, no no book this week I think we're going to leave it there for the day um, Again, any questions, any comments, anything at all, leave me a comment down in the YouTube videos. Send me an email, uh, Telegram. You can try smoke signals, though. I don't necessarily know how to interpret them correctly. You can give it a shot. I don't care. Send in your questions. I want I would like more of a question and answer period. I enjoy those very much. So let's get that to happen. Uh, for the rest of you, anyone not interested in sending a question go ahead like comment subscribe leave us a review in itunes that's actually super helpful if anyone wants to go in there leave us a nice five-star review some flowery prose about my musings that'd be great it's very helpful for the algorithm of suggesting podcasts to people the more reviews you have so i would appreciate that that is all we're going to say for this week on the crestman conversation My name is, again, Tyler Cressman, and I hope everyone out there has a fantastic week, and I will see you all next Monday.